לחיים, לחיים. 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 Okay. To learn again, what a privilege every minute that we get to spend together is, uh, is otherworldly. So thank you all for being a part of it. Thank you, of course, to Yehuda for opening his home to us. And um, once a week at least. So we promised that we'd start with this piece from Rav Kook, which I'm happy that we did decide that because some of the Chaver weren't here last week, but it really doesn't matter. Because this piece that we're going to learn really encapsulates everything that we learned last week in a much more poetic way, in a much more literary way. And if you've never had the opportunity to learn of Cook before, this is a phenomenal introduction. So let's dive into it. All the Siyatar with the help of the Master of the World, who's present and who's proud of this. He's got to be proud of this. What a privilege. Says the Elegar of Cook. This is a chalik in his magnum opus in his primary work called Arot. We, translate, we wrote over here Aros. Or Iris, but it's like awkward to say it any other way than Arot. <laughs> like of Cook's Iris, you know, you know. Arot. Okay. He has a section of the Sefer called Zer Onim. Zer Onim means like Milosh and Zer, small, little essays, so to speak. I and mean, a little is subjective, as anybody speaking about my Facebook post before, so short is subjective. But they are somewhat shorter than some of his lengthier pieces, and they're all encapsulated within each essay. It's like a whole world, point to point. And they're very good to learn. And they're very hard to read. So let's try to do it together. This piece is called Sima'on Lekel Chai. A thirst for the living God. Of course, a derivative of the Pasuk where David HaMelech says, Samanashi Lelikim Lekel Chai. The soul of David HaMelech, which is the heart of Am Yisrael, is thirsting for the living God. Says Rav Kook. Says it's impossible to find a firm foundation for spirituality if it's outside the context of the godly reality or the godly atmosphere. The capacity for knowledge, for feeling, the human capacity for imagination, and desire, and all of their internal and external expressions. All of these abilities that we have, again, to know things, to feel things, to imagine things, to want things. All of these abilities we have are compelling us all the time to be godly, to seek godliness, not just any kind of spirit or artistry or emotionalism, but godliness daika, specifically within the context of a creator who subsumes every particle of physicality. It is only then 
that these abilities can find their fullest expression. The experience that's balanced. And it leaves us with a peace of mind. But he says, If a person wants to be feeling spiritual, but he falls short of reaching to the absolute of spirituality, meaning the godly atmosphere, the aviraha elokit, so then all of a sudden, there is an experience of emotional vertigo, which is when a pilot is flying in a plane, he loses sense of what's up and what's down. And like a ship that's tossed around by the stormy seas, that's the person's life. Galim so'arim. Wild waves, misnagadim zelazeh, that are always in contrast, <clears throat> one to the other, yajichu tamid menucha, will prevent him from experiencing rest. Migal al gal yutal, from wave to wave he bounces, without really finding comfort, without really finding rest, peace of mind. And here he says a frightening thing, but I think it's a common experience, at least it's mine. Im if the person should happen to find the ability to sink himself within some kind of thick, corporeal, physical experience of feeling, maybe he says, So a little bit he can sort of dull it, he can numb it, he can ease the pain. Inside he feels... Ah, okay, I talk of feel safe. I talk of feel calm. There are experiences that we can grant ourselves, but he says ultimately they're artificial. Because he says, it won't be that many days that passes, or in some cases, depending on the situation, a few hours. So that internal yearning that wants something so much more than simply the feeling or perception of calm bursts forth from its internal prison. And that internal, essential tiruf, that sense of being torn away from any kind of foundation, again, begins to pound within us, leaving us no rest. Now these next five words, I really hope that we can bake into our heart. And he says it clearly, not Lafiani, as Daiti, Posh it, it's a klal. Makom menuchasenu hurak belukim. The place of our comfort is only in Akadish Baruch. That's it. That is the place of our rest. And trying to look for it in other places can ease us and tide us over for a bit. But the storms of life are destined to carry on once more. Makom menuchasenu hurak belukim. Ah, but there's a problem. You're telling me that the place of my comfort is in God. But a Kodesh Baruch Hu is, is inaccessible. He's, he's beyond the Metzius. He's outside of our experience of life. Can we bring into our experience any kind of feeling of God or even a thought, an absolute thought of really knowing what this thing is that we call God? And he says, anything that is beyond 
our ability to perceive, to sense, to think about, to capture in thought, that's like basically saying, from our standpoint, it, it almost doesn't exist. It's ayin. What shaykhis do I have with it? What's the entry point to something that's beyond my mind's ability to grasp? Essentially, it's, un, it's unattainable. It's inaccessible. You can't be telling me that the place of my menucha is in nothingness because it means nothing to me. And this is a major problem. This is, this is a major, major problem. Because if Rav Cook is right that the only place of our comfort is in God and God is inaccessible, then you're essentially defining my life as one of, of Tiruv. Oh, that's that's already last week. Let's get there. Let's 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 go step by step. Let's let's see if Cook takes us on a journey here. That's right. But he's going step by step, right? Without Rabbi Nachman, if you could imagine oh. such a thing, and even without Rav Cook in the next few lines, without anything, assuming that Rav Cook is right, godliness is Ein Ve'Efes. And by the way, I'll also tell you that even if we learn the Rav Nachman, the experience of life is often denying that knowledge, even if we know it intellectually, how much do we really feel it? And that's why Rav Cook takes it even t- maybe even 10 steps further than the Rebbe in terms of bringing it really, we're going to see how he, how he sets this up, but it's all the Rebbe. But this is the problem that we face. Al-Kain, and here he says a frightening thing. Al-Kain, this is why, Yimatu al-Piroiv, for the most part, you find Talmidei Chachamim Mevachi not just Talmidei Chachamim Poiskim, learning Nikola, but real spiritual Talmidei Chachamim, those that are searching, that are real spiritual people. He says, for the most part, you find Yigayim Vayyefim Burach. They're very tired all the time. They're very tired. Why? Because their whole existence is trying to grab hold of something that it's here for a flash and it's gone and it's frustrating. They're frustrated almost. It's a constant, ceaseless striving after the unattainable. It's exhausting. And when the soul begins to pine and long and yearn after that light that's yoter bahir, that's the greatest light, so then it's not satisfied anymore with even the small light that can be found, like righteous acts, even the biggest chasadim, that's not it though. It's nice. It's a nice little light. But we're yearning after the, the absolute, the everything. You're talking about the experience of the absolute or something else? Yeah, the experience, the feeling, the perception, the grasping, which is what she says impossible. And so even, okay, I'll do a little chesed, I'll give some tzedakah. It's nice. It's good. And in goodliness is godliness. It's still not satisfying them. It's like a, it's like a, it's like a, an endless, endless yearning. So all the water in the world is not quenching it. And he says even stronger. And he says, therefore, that light that's found in truth, even you get a sugya down pat, or you learn something in Hasidus or Musr, and it's clear to you in Kabbalah. He says, still it, it's not it. And not in beauty. Even in the most beautiful art or poetry or literature, which of course Rav Kook was very open to, to the to the distraught response of, of many of his contemporaries. Us, he says, you know what happens then? We run the risk of the world becoming dirty in our eyes. Meaning we despair 
of finding what we're looking for in the world. And we decide to leave the world behind. We become disgusted by it because it does nothing for us. He called Kach Cheves Bekirba. Inside, we want something so wide at Sha'olam Kulay till the point that the whole world, not just his physicality, even its spirituality. With all of its manifestations, both physical and spiritual, it's like a constricted narrow hallway. And its air begins to choke us. I ask you, did you ever see anything written like this that's so lucid? Of Cook's expressions were like, unbelievable. It's nothing like it. Even in learning, even in MS, even in Torah. Even in Torah. There's a yearning that's, that goes even beyond what can be captured in words or concepts. We just want the thing itself. And that, he says, at least on the surface, of course he's not. He's not leading us off a cliff. We'll get there. We'll get there. Yes, blah, blah. To suggest, especially if you went into learning or got in to try and find that salvation, you would experience that. If, you, if, if Right. If that's the only place you're looking and you're looking for this kind of mufshat godliness. Right. He says you're going to be tired. That's what he says. He says those kinds of individuals which I believe is the essence of our generation's soul, are seeking mashu l'mala mechacham. I'm sorry, l'mala mechacham. That which is beyond their capacity. Mashu hulu umasam ayin. What from their standpoint is really ayin. It's really nothingness. And to allow that nothingness to materialize in somethingness, you could want it all you want. You could desire after it all you want. That's not going to turn the nothingness into somethingness for you. Alkain, therefore, you know what happens to their desire? They give up. They just give up and they stop seeking it. And they become bourgeoisie. Same thing that happened to the 60s generation in America, that in the 70s already they had suits and ties. Because what they were looking for, they couldn't find. And before, before long, they were back in the boxes that they were trying to break out of. They gave up. Weakened becomes the, the passion for life of these people that are seeking godliness. And so they become monks, right? And they go up to the top of a mountain because they're looking for something that they can't find down here on earth. And they cannot find it on a mountaintop either. And you know what happens to life? becomes chalash, becomes weak. Physical, spiritual, <coughs> we lose interest in it because it doesn't satisfy us. Why? Because Makamiduchasenu, he says, is rak belokim. What to do? This is a major problem. Okay, so if Cook comes to the rescue. Tzarech lahare ses haderech ech nechnasim ala traklin. Rav Cook says, it is my job, an obligation, and the obligation of all tzaddikim, especially tzaddikim amitim, like Rabbi Nachman that we learned last time, like, like Moshe Rabbeinu, who was able to shine down the das, even into whom? The shifcha, the lowest, the raglan, l'chu chazu, that even the raglayim should see. Derech hashar. We have to show you the way, which is through a gate. And you know what that gate is? Hashar, hu elikus hamizgale bo'ilam. Is the elikus that is manifest in this thing we call creation itself. Ba'olam in the physical world, b'chol yafyo v'hadare, in all of its beauty and splendor, b'chol ruach u'neshama, and every 
particle of spirit and soul. With every animal and every worm. In every sprouting bush and in every little tiny flower. In every nation. In the ocean and its waves. In the, in the, in the illuminated clouds. And in the luminescence of the planets. Because Shroin is called Siach. In the incredible talent that's expressed in every kind of expression, in the thoughts of every of every thinker, in the visions of every poet, and in the theories of every philosopher, margish, in the feelings of everyone who senses, which is all of us, and in the and then in the storm of strength that pulses within the veins of every gibor. Of every mighty person. This elevated godliness. That we so naturally seek to reach. To become just wasted away and annihilated in its presence. To be gathered in and subsumed by its light. This godliness that it's impossible for us, when we conceive of it that way, to attain it in its fullest expression and to satisfy the depth of our yearning. Where are you running? It's called life itself. It's called life itself. It's called the world. It's called seeing and feeling and hearing and set and smelling and speaking. It's called love. It's called chevrashaft. It's called eating and drinking. It's called sleeping. It's called learning. Some some might. That that seems to be the suggestion. Some might. Powerful words. Very powerful. So we can find it and we can delight in its love. And in that moment, there we find comfort, there we find peace and settled peace of mind, which is a radical thing. That means to say what you're running to get is just here. It's already here. Amazing thing. Ulafrakim, he says, yeah, it's true. From time to time, we're blessed with a flash of lightning. Sometimes it's true. We could have a moment like that. Boom. Like it's just totally clear. Like that shifcha over there that all the shivarikim open up. Boom. And we see this incredible vision. It's a niggin. It's dancing. It's ni'ila. It's, it's uman. It's who knows. Sometimes you talk, I do feel something that's me malu It's true. Hashamayim niftachim. It's true, we can experience the sky open, and we can see visions of godliness. Dash. But don't fool yourself. Everybody knows that that's a matzav arai, that's like a sukkah. It's not lasting, it cannot last. Sacha kol, you're human. Sacha kol, we are human beings. The lightning fades. And we descend no longer to sit in perpetuity in the heichal of Hashem, and we're back in the courtyard. 
And he ends. When the seeking of this light reaches the highest, most intense point, it begins to draw illumination from the hidden light that all of existence has and that we have within ourselves. And from that endless wellspring, it is revealed that everything, everything is constantly drawing light from that place. From that loftiest possible light that we could imagine. And it's revealed that all the worlds and everything in them are nothing. They are nothing other than than godly revelations. Yeah, it may look like it's just one fragmented experience after another fragmented experience. And it's this and it's that and it's taking the kids here and it's going there and it's this bothersome experience and, it, and it's eating and it's drinking and it's sleeping a little bit and it's working a little bit. It just seems like little sparks of experience. It's nothing. Maybe it's little drops of a revelation of a high light. But he says, stand back and look at them. Look at life. Stand back in silence. Stand back in a matzav of his spoidus, of his boinanus. Stand back in attempt to reclaim a little bit of the wonder that we lose along the way. When you really see life as life, without being sunk into it, stand back. Consider life itself mindfully. What is it to see what is it to feel? What is it to drink? Life. What is it for a glass to reflect light onto this table? Be misspoiling. What is color? Life. Then all of these disparate sparks are woven together into one tapestry. His galus achas, one revelation. Sheba, that within it, kol kol is mamish included all possible beauty, kol ha'ar, all possible light, kol ha'emes v'chal all possible truth, and all possible good. Ha'giluyim ha'lalu halchim hein b'mahalchamu misa'alu. And these revelations rise, if we allow them to, within our life and within our mind and within our perception and experience, and existence fades away to reveal the fact that it is nothing other than a revelation of the divine. Life itself. And the divine life force that flows within all of this goodness, that lifts our soul to the zenith, to the pinnacle of spiritual experience, that seeks to make the world small in our eyes. Again, if we misunderstand what this world is and we try to break out of it, as if that's where we find peace. He says, We need to realize that that shefa that we seek is itself that which is renewing creation each and every moment. When is it felt? It's felt in silence. It's felt when we pause. Rabbi Nachman says that really the eye sees everything. Rabbi Nachman says when something flashes in front of your eyes, 
you saw the whole thing, even though it looked like a blur to you. He says, because it went by too fast. But that, I mean, it went by too fast for your mind to grasp it. But the eyes, the eyes probably should see everything. Nothing can go fast enough in front of your eyes that your eyes didn't see the whole thing in its fullness. Because think about a, a picture, right? Boom. You snap a picture if you have a fast enough uh, camera and the shutter speed is quick enough. No matter how fast the thing is going, obviously you have to align it with that speed. You capture it as still, right? The eyes have that capacity, but the brain can't grasp it. Says the Rebbe, it's the same thing with life. There is so much to see in this experience of life. And the only reason that we don't see it is because we're pushing moving too quickly. That's what the Rebbe says. We're pushing, rushing through life. And what's crazy is, is that we're oftentimes rushing to what we perceive to be whether it's, uh, I'm going to say, whether it's a kumzit or it's a this, we, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta get to ki'ilu. It's like a rush. But we don't have that in just stopping and sitting on the floor with your kid. If you're blessed to have children, I bless us all the children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, Hashem. Right. you're blessed to share a moment with a friend. We're blessed to sit here together. This is it. This is it. What makes us think that this is a lowly world and there's a higher world somewhere? Maybe this is it. And maybe it's just a matter of with what eyes are we looking at this experience we call life? And when we come around to this kind of consciousness, which we call that Muna, we learned about it last week, but not just Emunah, like I believe there's a God somewhere. Mamish Emunah, to live life Mamish, with this consciousness, with this awareness, everything takes on a new garment. The whole world becomes different. We spoke last time. Hendon Park is not the same Hendon Park. Uh, driving to the work is not the same drive to work. Everything becomes different. We're living in a world of Giluyim. Like we said last week, I think, the world is not called Oila Milosh and Helem because it hides HaKadosh Baruch Hu away. Because godliness is hidden from this world. It's because godliness is hidden within this world. Very, very different conception. Usually we think, because this world hides godliness. No. It's because God is hidden within this world. Not that this world intends to prevent us from feeling a Kaddish Baruch but that this world is the only vehicle for a human being to be able to perceive Hashem. When we stop falling for the illusion of Teva. And we start opening up to the realization that every minute is a nice gully. Every breath we take, as Chazal say, I'll call Nishima Unishima Tahalalka. Every breath we take, we need to praise HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Why? It just is. There's got to be some constants in, in this game called life. There are no constants. There are no constants. And if we didn't have Parnassah to take care of, and if we didn't have other considerations... I think that one of the Jews' only chiv, chiyuv it might be, especially if we're to take this chazal seriously, is to sit, breathe in. Thank you, Hashem. Oh, another breath. Thank you, Hashem. That's what chazal say. I'll call neshima uneshima. Nothing's constant. Nothing is constant. 
And at that point, he says, and with this he finishes, at that point, every experience of life, if it's raining or if it's sunny, different weather, different seasons, different experiences, a wedding, the opposite, different things that go on. Everything is because it's life. Even if it's difficult, even if it's challenging, even though it's frustrating, it's life. Rabbi Nachman goes so far as to say, and this is a little bit touching on the subject of an essay that I wrote last night, this morning, and this whole afternoon, because I did nothing else but write that essay. That's why it's that long. But it's been percolating for a few years. Um, I'll see for but if you have the time, you can look it up on, on Facebook. I could share it with the group. Mm-hmm. Do not Facebook, yeah, okay, so I'll, I'll share it. But it's long, so like, don't get too scared off. You can read it bit by bit. But this a little bit touches on that Nakuda. Where Ibn Ahmed goes so far as to say in Sicha Saran, and again, if he didn't say it, I couldn't say it. I'm not saying it from me. I'm just saying what he says. It's written down. You could just look at it. It's words on a page. The Rebbe was once speaking to somebody who loyally lost a child. Can't grasp what that is. Tragedy of tragedies. So tragic that the poet that I reference in that thing, his name was Albert Camus, it was a French Algerian thinker, really not a philosopher, it was more a poet, but he wrote some philosophy. He has a whole book expressing the absurdity of our experience, meaning the difficulty and frustration of life about a person who loses a child, saying, This there could be no reason for. I don't want you telling Tyrus. This, he says, Posh it. It's absurd. How could this be? A person loses a child. Like that's his pinnacle of, of pain. That's that's what he expressed in that book. Rabbi Nachman was speaking to such a person and he said the following. He said, ah, never a person loses a child. Who took the child? We believe HaKadosh Baruch who runs the world. Again, I couldn't say this and I wouldn't say this. Rabbi Nachman says, that experience of losing somebody dear, losing something dear, and that apply again, not, not in that acute situation, but anything in our lives where we lose something, he says, crazily enough, paradoxically, counterintuitively, impossibly, absurdly, even, he says, that's an experience of Hashem. That's an experience of the quote-unquote closeness of Hashem in the sense that something so cataclysmic happened in life that this, at least, we can say is not Mikra. Either God is a demon, right, <laughs> or Kodesh Baruch who's running the world. But whichever way it is, you encountered God. In death, we encounter God. Crazy thing, he says. Now, Allah has come of a common birth, right? Allah has come of a common great moment. Whoever's been zoicha, you know, to, to be present at the time of birth and whatever it's see or whether it's outside in the hallway or inside with your head out the hospital window, whatever you're doing, wherever you might be, Allahically, whatever it is, everybody can mask him that this. Is there any as intense a moment like that? Where you mamish feel, yeshalokim. Where you really feel it. Because I could say it my whole life, but there are moments when mamish, you, this, is, this is not a regular moment. Like, you know, 60 seconds on a clock, like uh, 60 seconds when you're standing online in the supermarket. 
this is a, this is eternity. Everything fades away. Nothing else matters. This is a truly spiritual moment. Says Rabbi Nachman, everything is a truly spiritual moment. Difficult, painful as that sounds. The question is, where is our consciousness? <clears throat> he says, in that moment, there's a part of us that experiences sasoin v'yesha, even joy, and an experience of salvation. And certainly everything, every positive thing, marn and lev, causes the heart to erupt in song. And then you go back to learning, and then every little Rashi you learn is Marchivdeya. Because you see that that is a gateway to the all. And I'm not stam splitting hairs and learning some sugya and gitin and this and that. Like, where's godliness here, for God's sake? Where's the all? Where's the absolute? Says of Cook, there. Mamish, there. Hametzerim Hatsarim, all of those constricting experiences, Shokal Elav, all of these things, Einam Doichkim Esmer Hanashem. They no longer constrict the expense of the soul. She mistakelas take it because the neshama quickly looks upon them, veroya, and it sees. Shekol oisamani tzoytes haktanim that all of those splintered fragments of experience, halchimu misalim, the world is rising. Halchimu misagadim, they rise and they bind together. Vinitzrorim, bitzror hachayim hamaleim. And they become bound in the bond of the truly full life. This is Rav Cook. What exactly changed? What's that? What changed? When and for whom? From the beginning to the end. That's an excellent question. Not just it's a good question. It's 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 the most consequential question we could ask. What? On a very practical level, perception is changed. I guess it touches on the law of attraction when, you, when your mind is attracted to something and actually wants to do that in a sense you know, they're meditating and actually going to be attracted to what the existence and he's basically saying between the lines for them the mother's not more than that it can't be as simple as that perception is not so simple and that was the answer that was given I would add another element that maybe precedes perception which is expectation mm. meaning perception is oftentimes the result of an expectation right because if my framework for experiencing a certain thing is limited by certain expectations of, of how to do that thing or what that thing is, so then my perception of it is, of course, going to be aligned with that expectation. So if my expectation is, this is the Olam Gashmi, there is an Olam Ruchni somewhere out there, and in order to pursue <coughs> spirituality, i got to break free from this limiting place, then my perception is founded on that expectation. But the question says, if Cook is, he challenges that expectation. Where do you get that expectation? How do you know? How do you know the way that Hashem communicates? How do you know the way that God looks? How far do we go with appreciating this? Like, take, for example, watching sports, mm. right? Marveling at, like, quality... Um, <laughs> Gold. Well, no, seriously. Yeah. The majesty yeah, this culture is a sensitive topic. Mm. <laughs> I mean, you know, we could touch that. I don't know, whatever. Or just indulgence sure. in general, gushmis in general. No, but I'm, I'm trying to say something which which is which has got a lot of something which on which can be perceived as as having some form of skill or, or significant talent. 
that goes into it. Rav Kook would say it goes very far. Mm-hmm. Rav Kook would say it goes far further than others would, would, would feel comfortable with. But I think, like, like Shimmy said, it, it, it comes down to the... It comes down to... Oh, my gosh. It's like, oh, what is this? Full-course full meal. It comes, it comes down to the general question about Gashmias, right? Meaning, even in the simple conception of Aliyah Agashmias. So, okay, so what should I do? I should sit in and, and, and what is, I don't even know what this is, but it's like about, uh, I should eat your Shamakoko my whole life and I should just say, okay, Lashem Yuchur, and that, so obviously that, that's not, because, because we know that there's Yitzhahara, and we know that the Yitzhahara is devious, and we know that we have to be on the lookout, especially vis a vis Gashmias, or things that can, can draw us into the lower states of being, because very quickly, this doorway, you know, it's a revolving door. <laughs> on the one side is godliness, on the other side is Bereshachas. That's called Klippas Noiga, right, for those that are familiar so with Tanya. Like, when you see the Klippa, then what, what's your kind of perception supposed to be able to bring down like this? You know what? The, the answer is the piece from Rabbi Nachman we're about to learn. So, let, let's, let's jump into the next piece, because he mamish, mamish addresses this. Mamish addresses this. Let's go. Rabbi Nachman a little bit brings us back to earth. And that is on, on this page, which I'm going to give out now. Here we have for this side. Here we have for this side. Should be enough. First, turn to the side with the English. This is this is indeed a Facebook post from a long time ago, but I just want to read it to you, read it with you, because I wrote it better than I could say it. And we'll just read it. it. Says like this: The Gemara relates Yitzchak Avinu's defense of the Jewish nation, based on his calculation of how little time they have for sinning. After all the time they spend sleeping, davening, using the restroom, etc. Right, the Gemara and Shabbos, just come outside for a minute. The Gemara and Shabbos tells us, Yitzchak Avinu, not like Yaakov, and not like Avram, defends Am Yisrael. When Am Yisrael says, right, Am Yisrael are sinning, says Yitzchak Avinu, let's make a cheshman. How much time do they have already to sin? They're doing this, they're eating, they're drinking, they're sleeping. How much time do they have? So after learning this, I did some research on what modern statistics tell us about the years of our lives, about how the years of our lives are divided up. Get this. Get this. At the average. Uh, uh, let's see. Let's, let's add it up. Listen to this. What I discovered was the, was shocking. Here are the numbers. Get this. It's Americans, um, Yes, that's true. That's true. You know something? Everybody is welcome to do the same thing with, Brit- uh, with British Hebrew. I don't think it would be that substantially different. Americans spend on average... 33 years in bed, 26 years sleeping, 7 years trying to fall asleep, 13 years at work, 11 years on screen time, 4 years eating, 3 years on vacation or holiday, 1.5 years exercising, 1 year on romance, 1 year socializing. That leaves the average American with eight years worth of time to live, right? to pursue dreams, to spend time with kids, to engage in religious activities, etc., I understand that a similar study on the firm world would yield some slightly different results. We easily spend a good 10 more years eating, of course. But there's another major difference that is far more profound. In this list of statistics on the lives of the general population, many of these areas negate the other. So, for example, you can't both be at work and also be on vacation. You can't be exercising and also eating. You can't be socializing and also watching TV. And you certainly can't be engaged in religious service while doing any of these things. The unique, hold on one second, the unique thing about Avodah Hashem, an amazing thing, is that even after the pie chart of the years of our lives are all sliced up into different categories to equal 120 years, we can at the very same time have spent 120 years of our lives serving the master of the world. Mm -hmm. 
Shivisi Hashem Lenegdi Samad. It all depends on the intention and level of awareness we maintain. If we do it right, the 33 years in bed can also be 33 years of serving Hashem. The 13 years at work can also be 13 years of serving Hashem. The 11 years of screen time can also be 11 years of serving Hashem. The four years spent eating can also be four years of serving Hashem. The three years spent on vacation can also be three years of serving Hashem. And that's a very powerful thing, I think. Let's jump into Lekut Imran, Reish Pevav, which actually is the last teaching in Lekut Imran, because everybody thinks that Lekut Imran ends with Azamra, but it's not true. So go past Azamra, Azamra being two, uh, 280, at uh, Reish Pei Base, 282. Go to Mamish, the final teaching, before Lekut Imran Tanyana. Reish Pevav. And please tell me how much time I have left. Uh, Where are we holding? Now it's not. Well, I tried doing that last week. We weren't so happy with that. So just uh, just let me know what time we, we, we're trying to end because we started at eight and we said that we would go an hour and fifteen. So okay, the seder. So we're gonna we're trying to go another ten fifteen minutes. Shamati mishmoi mikvar. Says Reb Nassan, I heard. Masha Amar al parsha shoyftim v'shoytrim. Or Reb Nachman said on the pasuk shoyftim v'shoytrim. V'nishkach aroyv. I forgot most of it, or most of it was forgotten. V'zewa yoytzim mishama. This is the tamsis of what comes out from there. Masha Anuzaycha Madayim. What we yet remember. Nassan said that. Yeah. Kiyesh Gan Eden. Says the Rebbe. There's a there's a thing called Gan Eden. A place, a concept, an experience. Yesh Gan Eden. There are two bechinas of Gan Eden, two aspects. There's Gan and there's Eden. There's the garden and then there's Eden itself. Eden. Behem bechinas, and they are the aspects of something called Chachmeilah. It's a very, very elevated kind of abstract perception. Chachmeilah. And this worldly knowledge. Of course, the primary delight of Gan Eden is the perception of divine wisdom. And it's got to be both. The higher wisdom, the lower wisdom, perceiving HaKadosh Baruch and understanding the depth of the Torah and the blueprint of reality. But he says, Here, Ibn Nachman also, similar to Rav Kook, speaks about Sha'arim. We need gates. We absolutely need gates. <clears throat> because if we don't have gates, we could know that a place exists, but we could be locked out of it forever. Where are the gates? How do I get in? Three of the most beautiful words in the whole of Quran. Don't worry, Chevra. There are gates. Don't despair. Sha'arim. These are the gates of Gan Eden. And this is how you get into Gan Eden. How to perceive this higher wisdom, lower wisdom. Do you know where these gates are? They are hidden and concealed within the earth. The earthliness. Bechinas, the Pasuk and Eicha, Tavu Ba'aret Sh'ara, reference to the gates of the Beis HaMikdash, which 
Chazal tells us, the Medrash tells us, Hashem caused to sink into the ground so that nobody could enter. The gates are sunken into the earth. For this you need a master of the earth. She ba'aretz, a person that's able not only to rule over Artsias, to quash the desire for physicality, no, to master the experience of being human. She who is able to extract from within this otherwise constricted experience of reality. To extract these glorious gates. To point us in the way of those gates that are hidden within the experiences of this thing we call life. Vidana, how do you get there? And this little bit speaks to Akiva's point. What are the boundaries, right? How do you know? Says Rav this is what we have halacha for. Because there's living life in a way of spiritual perception, but it's outside the boundaries. And that also leads to tiruf. That also leads to existential confusion. To this vertigo kazet. Where we don't know what up or down is anymore. We lose touch. Too much R. Too much chesed. It's all the same. But when we are able to really learn paiskim, and to really be able, and again, it's so counterintuitive because Paiskim is what chokes us. Right? Meaning, ordinarily we think that learning Mishnah Bura is the driest, most, th- it's, it's what we're trying to get away from in a certain sense, right? It's what we feel is constricting us, constricting us, because that's what Paiskim is. These are the boundaries. <clears throat> Says Rav Cook, guess what else has boundaries? A gate. So, the Paiskim don't intend to trap you within the boundaries. They intend to construct a doorpost that then allows you to go in. Within a gather, that's the way that you perceive the gates that are tavu ba'aret she'areh, that are implanted within the reality of the natural world. V'zebachinas, this is the aspect of the Pazik Mishlei, melech b'mishpat yamid aret. The king is able to yamid aret, is able to set the earth upright b'mishpat. With mishpat, the mishpat daika, with laws. Within the boundaries of halacha, and more than just halacha, because it's possible, like the Ramban says, to be a novel b'shusatayra, to make brachas on every food and still be a, a you know, what the, what the Ramban calls a novel, right? Which I think, you know, not to say anything bad, but it's it's a common experience that all of us are familiar with. I mean, you could be doing everything right, but you're still not living with the spirit of halacha. Right, so, so you found the heksha for this, and you found the this for that, and you found everything except, okay, but that's, that's what Allah wants now. Right? That's, not, that's not the spirit of Allah. So the ikr is, he says, to mamish live with the, with the ruach of it, to respect it, not to be scared of it, and not to, again, expect that it's coming to hit you over the head, and therefore perceive it to choke you. Right? But to see it as a gateway to life, to the fullest experience of life aligned with the divine. This is how we become king. This is how we become Moishal to really be in control. Even when we lose control, 
that itself is being part of, that's fine. That, that itself is part of control because it's part of life. And if it's part of life, it's part of a gilu yvalukus. Then, Mamish, you can lift up the whole, the whole earth. And this is how we set right the gateways. That in this lifetime, Mamish, we can be zoich and with this we finish. And the passage continues, right? Right? The Maishra Rabbeinu says, when you get tired to Israel, you shall appoint shayftim, judges, v'shayitrim, policemen, v'chol sharech, at all the gates, l'shvatecha, in accordance with the shvatim, different chalakim of Eretz Yisrael. Shevet, says Rabbi Nachman, which means a shevet, right? Is Rosh HaTevis, tabu ba'aretz she'arel. Those gates that are sunk into the ground. The Zehu says the Rebbe, this is how we read the Pasuk. If you'll be connected to these gateways, to this goalpost of Gan Eden, of Halacha, because this will lead you to be mamash in control. Which is it's with mishpat that we lift up the earth. This reveals the gates that are sunk into the earth. You know what happens then? You're going to see not just that our gates, everything's a gate. Everything in life is a gate. What's lishvatecha? Shevet. Tavu ba'aret shara. Which gates? The gates that are sunken down into the earthiness of physicality. They will enable us, if we learn it again with an expanded consciousness, Ramesh, with a firm, firm realization. HaKadosh Baruch Hu loves us. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is a giloy. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is ar. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, listen, Chavra, make kalim for the ar, because otherwise you'll miss it. That's what the kalim are for. And that's time to dress our up, make us crazy. Make Kalim, because that's the only way that Mamish the Ars settles in life, in Kalim. Strange thing. So he says in that moment, To close, let's open, you know? That's how we'll close. Let's Mamish open. Let's, let's put it to the test because everything, everything could stay in intellectual limud until we're ready to actually slow down. Until we're ready to actually find the courage to revisit a life of Kalim, to revisit a life of, of, of revisiting those kinds of commitments. And I, I don't speak to anybody, I speak to myself because I need it. I know how desperately I need it. How desperately I need it. It takes courage because I've been so burnt and I've been so... I've been cast under the shadow of a presentation of that kind of lifestyle that's hurt me so badly and that's constricted me so completely that I don't trust it. I don't trust it. But Rabbi Nachman, I trust. Rabbi Nachman's telling me, trust me. You can taste giluyim atzumim in life. Commit to Kalim. And again, it's not like committing to like all kalim all the time forever, right? Make a kli. Whatever that kli is. If, if, if my getting up is erratic different times, 
to make a kli, getting up at this time. Consciously, not stam because, uh, okay, I'm a from the guy. Not stam. With the expectation that within that kli, even though it's not easy, I just created a vessel and a gateway to experience the R of HaKadosh Baruch Hu in my life. The R of reality mamish. Not like Rav Cook's boat that goes from wave to wave and wave to wave. Straight. That's my blessing to me. That's my blessing to you. And I hope we can do it. I hope we can do it. Shaniska. Because you're linking the fun where Cook spoke about with the day-to-day to be the Caleb of Nachman speaking about Yes, yes, because that was that was Akiva's question, Herschel's question, was the bridge, right? What changed? Crazily enough, what changed is 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 an, a further openness to Caleb. Again, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm not saying like it's too much for me. I can't take everything on. Caleb, a, a consciousness that Caleb could actually help to, to to connect with life, and the expectation of those Caleb that allows my perception of them to be completely different. They're not there that, to choke that's me. The that's the ultimate godliness. Go slow, make Caleb experience wow. life as life. It's the greatest gile velikos there is. So it's a metaphor, meaning it's not a real cle. It's not. A, I'm sorry. It's not a real cle. It's not a real gate. Says the Rebbe. That's the gate. That's the gate. The cle is the opening that enables us to enter into life for real, instead of just uh, you know having life pass me by. Essentially, that's what he says. That's how we're zayicha to the shah. Let's do one more niggin. Let's have time for one more niggin. Oh, nice. Nice. I have it. Give out. And that's a clee. Okay, we'll do it right away. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh.